Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Wilson Pickett with Funky Broadway. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Kate Halfpenny, designer and founder of British luxury bridal wear brand Halfpenny London. During a 20-year career as a stylist working on television campaigns and music videos, Kate dressed some of the world's most iconic women, such as Kate Blanchett, Rihanna and Kate Moss. But it was after designing two wedding dresses for her friend, actress Amelia Fox, that Kate was, as she says, inundated with requests and began designing on the side. Having spotted a gap in the market for UK-made detachable bridal pieces and exclusive fabrics, Kate launched Halfpenny London from her home in 2005, and in 2012, encouraged by her husband to take the leap of faith, she moved the business and the brides out of her living room and found a shop in Bloomsbury, London. Halfpenny London now retails not only from that Bloomsbury boutique, but Harrods, Net-a-Porter, and from stockists around the world. And aiming to design with a conscience, the gowns are made to order, ensuring no wasted stock. It's fabulous to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm honoured to be on your incredible show. It's a visual delight as well. For those of you that can't see Kate, and that's all of you, (laughs) Kate is wearing the most brilliant glasses, amazing collection of jewellery, and a really simple but cool, what do you call it? A dr- it's a, it's it's like a, a shirt big dress. shirt dress, yeah, effortless. The, re- the reason I say this is rather than sounding deliciously superficial, which I can do all day, is because obviously your world is the world of fashion and style. And it's in your blood, I guess. And, and before the business was the business, you were styling people. It was. I think I've been obsessed since being a child of people's clothes and drawing and shapes and dresses and fabrics and yarns and everything to do with textiles, really. So... It just was a natural progression. I, I, I don't know how I was awarded this badge of honour to tell people what to wear, but it seems to have worked and I've carved a magical career for the last, well, I'm nearly 50, so however many years that was. You're, you're, you're very young. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of that, though, of course, your mum was in the business, as it were. I read that your grandma taught you how to use a sewing machine. Yes, my grandmother was a denim machinist. She was fixing all of Rolls-Royce's overalls, so that was in the day when they didn't just throw them away if you tore the back pocket on a piece of machinery or the crutch went or, you know, there was a a tear in the leg. They would all be patched and repaired. And, you know, for me, I love that about clothes. My husband loves things darned in his trousers now and I think there's a really big resurgent in mm. repair and rewear and all of that. So she taught me, yeah, the craft of, of sewing on a really very old machine that used to be manual that was then turned into a electric one. And mother, she was a knitwear designer. That was a second kind of part of her career, having been a dental nurse for many years. She always wanted to go to art college and her parents were like, no, secretary school and then various things as as you did a, a post-war baby mm. so I was always surrounded by creativity and mum would do things like take a, a wooden curtain pole and have some saws in the garage and things and she'd cut them up and she'd paint on these little discs with the kind of the frilly edge of those wooden curtain poles and paint them so I was surrounded by craft and and creativity my entire life really it's a tactile thing, though, isn't it, but dealing yeah. with textiles, as well as the visual piece. Was that also literally around you? And if so, what if you recall, what was the first bit of texture and what was the first 
piece of material that you thought, well, this is interesting. And do you remember how old you were? I don't remember the physical textile, but what I do remember is being surrounded by amazing interiors that my mum would create. And she was obsessed with Laura Ashley back then when I was growing up. And when Laura Ashley was doing what people are starting to do again now is you match your wallpaper to your bed sheets, to your to your quilts, to your cushions, to everything. And I remember I had this kidney-shaped dressing table and she'd cut the wallpaper and put it under the glass. So even the everything, like it was... I was just immersed in print and pattern and, and I hated it as a child, actually. But now it's 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 kind of shaped me. It's really been something that gives you the foundations of, you know, I'm obsessed with interiors. We're on our fourth kind of property that we're renovating and I've just bought a little um, shop in Faversham with a, an Airbnb and I think that's because I love just doing things up, mainly. And the doing things up, before we we get to the business, obviously you were doing people up for quite, doing for, people up, for yes. quite a while. Yeah. And, and what was that like? Firstly, the actual doing of that before you got into to making things. But secondly, dealing with famous people, because I mentioned a few people that most people would have heard of. Yeah. Do you know what? I must say, the, the, the more famous the person that I worked with, the easier they were, the, the more gracious they were, and the more appreciative of what we were creating, what the art, the styling, or whatever we were working on at the time was for. The less famous people, the, the new starters, the new musicians that were just kind of, it was their first music video or they were being interviewed for something, they were always far more difficult. They didn't, because it was also very alien to them for somebody to come along and say, right, I've got these outfits and, you know, I'm going to kind of help you make you feel the most amazing. You know, that's my mantra now with my bridal dresses. It's I want to make you feel the very best version of yourself and be the person that you want to be, not try and be anybody else. And You said something, which I just like the phrase, you said, you know, you kind of made people look good. That's what you did before you moved yes. into to bridal wear. And you sort of said something like, I don't know how I got the honour of managing to do that. How did that happen? The making it up and you deciding what colour and you deciding what look, that's an amazing privilege. Are you happy making things up? Is that where you're your happiest versus following a set of rules or a format? I mean, I'm a, I'm a rule breaker. I, I don't, I've never really worked for anybody. I think it applies to my life, my business. It's, I just, yeah, I make things up. I style it out. I... Like we said before this interview, I don't kind of work to a set of questions or a set of rules. I suppose that kind of, you know, I wing it a little bit. And I have done throughout my entire life. And when it's time to turn right, I turn left. And I love the happy accidents that have come along with my career and my work. And the bridal was always just a passion. I did my degree in the late 90s and specialised in women's wear then. It was a degree with marketing and manufacturing, so I had to look at the cost of making things to how you marketed something. And what happened there was I identified, yeah, there's a massive gap in the market right back then of cool bridal wear that wasn't so stuffy and looked like the the dolls that you'd put on top of a toilet roll and (laughs) kind of really... In my grandma's uh, bathroom. Did, did she? She had she one, did. right? I just, they were ama- they you, need to I, come back. I just got a flashback <laughs> yeah. into uh, sunny Stanmore Hill circa 1985 and that bathroom. Toilet, actually. It wasn't even a bathroom. And there was the, there was there was little, the dolly. There was the dolly. So um, I saw then that there was a gap in the market for something cool and different. And, and that was, yeah, literally late 90s. And I also identified that it was a really lucrative market to go into because some pieces could essentially look like a day dress but would have a larger value because it was a special item and that's 
kind of what I looked at back then. It's very different now because actually the way that we make things, it's all British made and, and it justifies its value. But back then when I was researching, I was thinking, yeah. some of these dresses, it didn't make, nothing made sense. And that thing you said about just following, you know, partly contrarian, but I think it's more than that. I think it's just your inner confidence to say, you know what, I feel like our instinct and you go over there and you, you do your thing. Was it a leap of faith in 2005 or was it just, okay, well, I'll give this a go when you actually set the business up? I, when I graduated, I did... So my year out from industry, I worked for Vivian Westwood and I did my internship then and, and quite quickly realised then that I didn't want to work for another fashion brand. Um, I, I didn't really fit in. I wanted to be more hands-on, more creative and then made met these incredible graduates from the Royal College that were creating costumes for amazing TV commercials and it was really hands-on and... So I kind of fell into this this route by just meeting people. I just loved the serendipitous kind of way that I fell into this career. And the bridal wear then sort of took a back seat because I, I had all intention of, of kind of doing something with that as a career. And I just made then dresses on the side. People were like, oh, you, you know how to do a wedding dress. And, you know, I'd make friends wedding dresses. And then it got to 2005 and I'd sort of dressing Amelia Fox for her job and helping her with her interior and the natural progression that we became friends from spending so much time together and it was her wedding and I dressed her and her, her husband back then, Jared Harris, and at her wedding, her best friend said to me, you've captured her in every stitch of that dress and it really kind of floored me to think, gosh, the power that I have to make people feel and look the very best version of themselves and and really capture who they are within these these dresses and it did, it really took off from then I you know it was all word of mouth it was pre the internet and we bumped into her aunt who worked at Vogue and she said oh you know you do wedding dresses you did that amazing one for Amelia and they did a little line for me in Vogue I created a website Amelia modeled and and the birth of the brand was then so so it wasn't a leap of faith in fact it was really. just where you went next yeah it, it was almost a forced kind of journey you know Vogue are now writing about me I haven't got a website Amelia was like I'll model for you okay yeah. my friend Cat will shoot the pictures and and that's kind of how I again yeah. winged it for the next three Suddenly seasons. Suddenly it was just natural and the next yeah. down to earth thing to do. Well that's what Kate Halfpenny did and she created the business called Halfpenny London. So if you're thinking about doing it just follow your next do step it. right just go and do it. She'll be coming back in a couple more minutes to talk about all sorts of other things as well but right now it's uh, time to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series which can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip, from a conversation on the supply chain, ethics and manufacturing, we hear from Flora Davidson, co-founder of Supply Compass, the end-to-end fashion software changing the way brands and manufacturers work together. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishkon Dereya. Don't try to come in and like disrupt with big new ideas. Like it is a intricate and global, um, very complicated industry, and more complex rather than complicated. And so things like when you're trying to change a system, it won't happen overnight. And be comfortable with that, and work on the bit that you want to change. But also, like, because you're working with so many different types of organisations across 
the world across different experiences different cultures you have to be sensitive to that and understand that change in your perspective might look really different and have different impact on those from other places and experiences so go it's not delicately but just be curious and sensitive with your curiosity on that journey the mishcon innovation series in association with jazz shapers with mishcon Dereya. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers await you on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And you can, of course, hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today, right here, right now, is Kate Halfpenny, founder of British luxury bridal wear brand Halfpenny London. The British thing is interesting to me. And you mentioned before about where stuff was made, and that was part of your degree and I assume it was an important part of the degree in terms of manufacturing why is the British thing important is it because you as a British person have a certain take on the world which is different to the Italian take on dresses or I'm just trying I'm interested in in how important the British bit is the British bit is so important to me because I grew up in Derbyshire which was a real hub for manufacturing and I saw the devastation that happened when the factories were bought by companies from Asia that then came over, took all this amazing machinery. Like, we were at the forefront of manufacturing for so many things in Derbyshire and and Yorkshire, and it really did impact my family. My friend's father was the MD of a big factory called Celestian Textiles back then that used to make all the underwear for Marks and Spencers, and, and then it all went abroad. So I just saw the impact it had on the UK and the economy, and, and I, I was quite young back then, and I think I just felt, gosh, we had something really special. And and then they came, learned from us and took it all away. And now we don't have that incredible place of manufacturing. It's not a job, really, that is proud to be a machinist. You know, it, my grandmother was so proud of what career she had as that machinist. And, you know, I, I, I really do dream of working with people that are out of work, potentially, or or kids from school and educating them in how incredible it is to have a career within fashion, within the manufacturing side of it. And more and more factories are, are popping up all over the place and all of our factories are within within the M25 now. And it's exciting to be... It, it's so much easier as well to yeah. visit them and, I, I and remember work with them. You just reminded me, I, I interviewed Emma Bridgewater a few oh, years yes. ago and she was talking all about her factory, I think it was in Stoke. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and how... British craft is a thing that needs to be focused on more, it really needs does. to be kind of reinvested in. Um, and for you as a business person now, then straddling that world of, hold on a minute, I've got a P&L and I've got to think about these things beyond your love of textiles. How have you synthesized creativity and the cost of manufacturing and all the other things that go with running a business? Or is that, again, just flowed? It's just flowed and... I'm fortunate I've got an incredible team that I work with that help us to stay on track with with kind of your your P&Ls and your you know the cost of manufacturing and we've got a high value item here and it's made with beautiful textiles and the craft of that garment is so very important anyway that it needs to be made beautifully and it needs to be made well and it's not mass produced so the cost for me has always been high because of the the small quantities that we're making. I'm not a massive manufacturing bridal brand. I'm, you know, yeah. 
So it's yeah. and is it easy to set the price for a, for a, an object or uh, not? I mean, the price is set based on the cost and the materials involved and the and the, the the sums that you do in order to wholesale and then to retail and 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 all of those things in between. I think these days people appreciate the craft and they they want to know the notoriety of of where it's been manufactured and and the materials. I mean, the sustainable journey for us, we are on a massive ship turning. You know, we want to start looking at cloth that is, you know, that there's a lot of talk around the the mushroom fabrics and all the different things. People want fancy fabrics and I want to work out how we can do that in a more sustainable way. But how we look at that side, and I've completely changed the subject, but is is by everything's made to order. So there isn't tons that end up in landfill and we sell all of our samples at sample sales, so everything impacts the cost. Yeah. Interchangeable separates. In English, that means... Tops and skirts. Tops and skirts, <laughs> right, right. And I love researching things that you wouldn't naturally think I would be interested in. In fact, what happens is the brilliant thing about, about doing this programme is that I, I am a magpie like you, I think, in a different way where I just like, oh, that's interesting. I knew nothing about interchangeable separates, tops and skirts. Especially not, though, and again, this is me showing my ignorance, but but I think this was your opportunity. In the market of bridal, that isn't a thing, or it wasn't a thing. It was like, no, no, there's, I remember. It's a wedding dress. It's a dress. You wear wear the dress. In doing that, the other thing I read about, which I thought was very nice, you said, look, we make our stuff not to hide your body, but to show it off. Yeah. And again, my experience of people trying to try on the new dress. Well, the wed sheds and all those crazy diets. All that stuff, it's mental, absolutely crazy. How much... Is that a focus for you? This showing off bit versus hiding, and how do you it's ensure? So important. And how do you ensure you do it every time, or is it kind of easy? I just think the messaging around my brand and what we do is really it is be the bride you want to be. It's so it's kind of cut out the noise of what you think you should be or what your peers or family have always sort of said. Oh, you shouldn't wear that, or you need to wear this. Do what you want to do. This is your one opportunity to do something, and actually, it's not just about that day. It's about your whole life, mm-hmm. and. Secondly, I really encourage people to find a dress that works for them, not finding a dress that they need to work out for. I don't think if you're going to have to shed, you know, half a stone, a stone, five stone, whatever, to look good in something, then that's not necessarily the right thing for you to do because, you know, we we are what we are. I'm a, I'm a curvy girl myself. I've never, you know, I've never been able to fit in any of the press samples I've borrowed for years from for all my celebrities. And I think that's almost why... It made me so good at what I did without blowing my own trumpet because I wasn't dressing these people how I dressed or how I wanted to dress. I just was using amazing clothes to enhance somebody's body and appearance and bring out personality within clothes. And that's exactly what we do now with the bridal wear. Is it is it quite emotional when you... Cause so you talked, emotional. You talked with about Amelia when the friend said, you know, you've literally captured her. I imagine you get that fix every time yeah. you see your... Your 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 bride to be. Sundays are my favourite days of the week because I get all these alerts on Instagram from brides or the photographers or their friends that have been all Saturday night and into Sunday morning of the wedding and seeing these creations that me and the team have made and it's it's really wonderful. It is so emotional and it is the best part of my job is is having the privilege that that these people trust me to create something for for the most important day of their life where it comes to wearing something really what happened during covid though of course people 
couldn't get married and your business would have... Did it suffer or did people no, just go and do we stuff anyway? were fortunate not to. I mean, I suppose that this year as we've seen the pinch of the fact that we had a whole period of time where people didn't order their dress because we take an order and, and it's it's at least six months in advance in order for us to get the materials and to arrange the fittings. So there was that kind of area, but actually we had to turn down so many brides after COVID because of the impact on the um, supply chain that mm. we couldn't get materials for, you know, they just were stuck on boats or they weren't being made because of outages of electricity in countries or, you know, just yarns coming from from China that needed to go to Italy and various kind of reasons. But um, no, we didn't hugely we didn't hugely get impacted by COVID because the brides were still getting married and all the ones that had pre-ordered that simply had to just shunt their date. The problem we had was the fittings after and then fitting everyone in for that. But Who knew? Who knew? Who knew that that was a thing during COVID? Actually, you had a backlog. Well, there yeah. you go. Final chat coming up with my guest there. It's Kate Halfpenny. And there's some genius from Jacob Collier in the mix too. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Kate Halfpenny's my business shaper just for a few more minutes. We touched on sustainability earlier. And the world has kind of moved into this notion of a circular economy and all that. And when you talked about using every last piece, and obviously things are made on a personalised basis. Have you really thought how you make dresses or is it more a question of taking what you've got and going, well, I can change a little bit here and I can change a little bit there in terms of the manufacturing process? I'm just interested as how radical you are being about this or whether it's just to sort of ameliorate where you currently are at. We have created quite a beast, actually, with this whole topic in the fact that there's a skirt that's really popular that we make and it's circles and circles of silk organza and from the circles that we cut out, if you think when you cut a circle out of a square, there's triangles around the outside, but then this circle, we cut another circle out of the middle, quite a big circle. So these circles are big and they make frills. And so we'd have piles and piles of these beautiful circles, perfectly ironed circles and triangles from around these pieces of fabric we'd cut. And it was my mum actually that said, you know, I'm sure we can do something with them. And she hand cut little flowers from the middles of from these circles and triangles. And then we layered them up like petals. So it's really a very beautiful couture technique. However, I then put them on a collection of, I put the stars, you know, just on one dress. And then I did a whole collection using these flowers. And that collection really went absolutely bananas and, and stockists around the world all bought into this to the extent now that we need to make God, millions of these <laughs> tiny little things. How that, are you going to do that then? Exactly. <laughs> so now the, the whole process of stacking these circles up. And so we still, we still use all of our waste silk organza to cut as many as we can. I mean, sometimes in some months we do have to... Is, is it manual though, or is that? Yes, yeah, manual. So if yeah. you need an extra hand, yeah, I'm I'm not great, but <laughs> I, I I can be taught. And in terms of just going back to something we talked about at the beginning, the making it up bit and just following the next step and the next step. What's going to happen in the next few years for you and your business? Is it going to be a lot more circles? Are there going a to be other things? Circles, a lot more yeah. circles. We got that bit. Yeah. But, but in terms of developing it, will you ever move out of bridal? Um, I mean, we are, we've got, we are excitedly launching some coloured dresses this, um, for, for event wear for Christmas with Harrods. So that's, that's nice that you can actually get dresses that might have been your wedding dress or a look of within Harrods in a, but it, in it, a colour. It, it feels like if you were inspired one day, if you got some creative juice going, you'd be like, do you know what? I think we should be thinking about dresses over here or, or rather women's wear over here. Is that 
likely to happen or does it just depend where Kate's head is? I, it just depends where mine and my team's head mm. is. Because um, it's a very strong brand. You talk about brand a lot and obviously the brand, the reason it's strong is you haven't diluted it and there is yeah. a focus. For me, it's all about being authentic for a start. So if you want to create a business, then you need to have something that somebody wants and it needs to not be fake and forced. Like today, so many people chuck something on Instagram and it's, oh, I've got this business and it's brilliant or, you know... We were one of the first 100 businesses to, to Instagram and, and it's been wonderful to watch the growth and it has been a massive driver for us globally. We did um, an influencer's wedding dress before it was even kind of cool to do that and and that massively pushed us out there through through those social channels. But I think, yeah, I just think whatever we do and whichever way we turn, myself and my team, we always kind of think of the bigger picture and, and what it means to to our brand and, and the passion and the love that we all have for what we're doing. So, yeah, we have grown hugely to kind of nearing 30 members of staff now from this tiny little seed that I planted back then. So it's... Yeah. Is that okay, though? Is that still joyful? Do you mind managing more people? It's still joyful. It's, I'm fortunate to have an amazing MD and an amazing heads of department. And, and yes, we need to grow more. They all need more assistance and teams within all of those departments. And it... It is a joy and I'm so inspired to see we've just finished another collection which we launched last month in New York. The dream team really is dreamily knitted together and first time in, in kind of a good couple of years that I just feel there's a huge synergy between every department. They're all singing off the same page and it's exciting to see that and, and what can be achieved. It's been great talking to you, Kate Halfpenny. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Just before I let you wander off and come up with another idea before, whenever it might be today. Um, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? It's Stevie Wonder, You Are the Sunshine of My Life, and it is the song that I now sing to Sylvester every night. Your son? Yeah, that's my, my seven-year-old son, and it's our first dance song from our wedding, and it's because my cheesy, amazing, creative, brilliant husband, I'd phone him and he danced the phone singing You Are the Sunshine of My Life, and it, when we were choosing our wedding song, I was just like, there's no other song, is there, than that one? So, yeah. Stevie Wonder there with You Are the Sunshine of My Life, the song choice of my business shaper today, Kate Halfpenny. She talked about being a rule breaker. She talked about making things up. She talked about her love of happy accidents. And really nicely, she talked about her belief, her deep-seated belief in Britain as a manufacturing powerhouse. Really great stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.